Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is England is Burning for October the 18th, 2021. This is your Manchester United weekly feature. Uh, we have Mark back from the Manchester United Women's Supporters Club back again this week. Uh, today, on Monday, it's I don't know where it is you are, uh, how it is weather-wise where you are, Mark, but it looks like you're bundling up. I'm bundling up. It's getting cold outside. Yeah, uh, typical um, Manchester weather. It's absolutely pouring it down. Um, oh wow! Okay. So there yeah, we go. we've we've got an hour, a constant week. I think it's. I think I've looked at it this morning. I think we've got rain every day this week, which is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you all ever get used to having that much rain. I, I guess you, you do. You just expect yeah, it this time of year. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the temperature. Yes, it was a really nice day yesterday. It was a bit. There was a bit of warmth out. So, and then this morning we we wake up to just this torrential downpour. And um, looking at the weather app on my phone, it's uh, rain followed by more rain followed by more rain. In fact. Up until a week on Wednesday, it's going to be raining, according to the weather app. So, you know, there we have it. Winter's here. Autumn's sprung. Yeah, autumn is sprung. So nice to have you back after the after uh, after the weekend and so forth. Um, yeah. And a very interesting, um, a very interesting Conti Cup uh, fixture in the in the group stage B and so forth. Um you know, United goes and wins the, the match at Durham. Uh, and now, if you don't remember from the previous episode, y'all, Durham is at top of the table in the championship uh, and so forth. So they're in the same group with United and City and I believe one other team there. Um, but um, it was uh, it ended up going to penalties. Uh, interesting yeah. format where like no draws, you, 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 if you're drawn at 90 minutes, straight the penalties, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. Y'all American fans who bother me about the fact that there's too much, too many draws in, 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 in soccer and football and so forth, you know, I give you the Conti Cup group stage because uh, yeah. there's a winner and there's a loser, you know, in, in that. So um, before we get into the actual match itself, can you explain to us, the format of the Conti Cup in terms of how it's, you know, what the group stage process is and what that leads to. And is this process, is this um, new or for this season or has it been like this? So the, the, the Conti Cup, as we call, as it's called, is basically made up of groups, North and South groups. Um, so United's group is United Durham, Everton, Leicester and City. So there's five in our group. So one team will always have a bye. So one team will have a bye week when the cup games are on. Most other groups have got four teams in it. So they all play at the same time. Um, And it's been this format, well, since I started following United, since United Women started. And it it seems to work really well. Um, So... As you said, there are no draws. So it's three points for if you win the game in the 90 minutes as normal. And if it goes to penalties, it goes to two points. And then obviously zero points if you lose. There's no one point for the draw, which is what is the standard. The other interesting concepts around it is that all the WSL teams, obviously, they're all full-time and fully professional, whereas... The, the Durhams of this world and, and, and the lower teams who are part-time, they won't really have an away game. So they won't be travelling up to Lee. We would be travelling up, up to them. And it, so the format is the top one goes through from, from the group and from each group. And then I think last year they had the best uh, runner-up from our group. So depending on who had the best results and the best goals for uh, and everything went for it. And then it basically then goes from, from the groups into the, into a knockout game and it carries on that way till the final. So it's, so basically it's kind of the way a, a Euros or a world cup would start out with groups, then knockout games and all the way through to the final. And how many group stages, I mean, uh, group stage matches are there? So United will be so United are going to be playing five games, uh, four games in total. So they played 
Durham, Everton, Leicester and City. Mm-hmm. And you only play them once. It's not it's not like a round robin where you like the Champions League where you'll play each team twice. It's it's a one off game. So we so depending on the size of your group depends on on how many games. So if you're in a group of five, you'll have four games, and in a group of four, you'll have three games, and and, and in that way. So so it depends because Arsenal, for example. Uh, so I, I kind of we kind of talked about this last week. So if you're in the Champions League, you don't you won't be in the group stages of the Conti Cup. You'll go straight through to the knockouts. So it depends how many games are really depends on, on the teams in how many teams are in your group. Mm-hmm. Right. So in the United's group is Durham, which yeah. we'll talk about the, in the, and they're in the championship and they're at the top of the table there, as, as we just mentioned, uh, and then Manchester city and Everton. And Leicester. And Leicester. So, yeah. okay. So there's four games total in five yeah. teams. All right. Uh, so interesting. That's an interesting group. <laughs> City, Everton, yeah. Leicester, and Durham. Yeah. Um, so we, so the, so the draw was made. So initially City weren't in the group mm-hmm. when the draw was initially made because City were still yeah. at that time in the Champions League. So initially it was Durham away, Leicester away, Everton at home. That was the initial draw, I think. But then, obviously, once City got knocked out and City came in, they left Durham as the away game. Uh, they moved then Leicester um, and City to away game to home games, and Everton is now the second away game. Um, so you have to be, and then you basically have to be top of the group in order to advance, and possibly you advance if you're one of the better second place teams in the group. Yeah, basically. So, so it, it's very interesting um, because with City and Everton and Leicester, you know, what well, we know about Leicester, people continue to DM me about Leicester, um, you know, but Everton is an interesting storyline too. Uh, they yeah. played Manchester City, but that we won't necessarily talk about that match, but that was interesting as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, kind of, a, it's a tough group, you know, if all, if, all the teams were playing as well as they could um, and so forth. I mean, to be able to be at the top of that group, it's a tough group though. Yeah. So since 2018, so since the team started mm-hmm. every year in the Conti Cup, we've always had Everton. We've never not had mm-hmm. Everton in the group mm-hmm. stages of the Conti Cup. I think our first, and originally when it was done, it was done as a kind of a, a just a, a normal cup draw. So they picked out groups. So, in the right. first ever season of in 2018, we had Reading. Reading was a, uh, in the Conti Cup. We had Leicester and Everton, I think. There's probably a, a missed someone out. But then it, the following season, they, went, they, went, they then did the North and South draw. So it was kind of easier for them. Um, and then last year we had we had a Liverpool game in there. We had uh, Everton again. Uh, we had City. We've we've had like I said, we've had Everton every year. We've had City, I think, three years on the bounce now as well. But obviously, that, it's just geographically from that from that point. And then Durham is the, the further the furthest one mm-hmm. out. For and, us. and to to put it in context, everybody, the on the on the men's side, this the Conti Cup on the women's side is basically the same as the Carabao Cup the league yeah. cup on the men's side. So that's what we're talking about. Um, and so the women's the women's side in, in England has the league with the WSL has the FA cup, which is still playing out last year as FA cup. We won't get into that now, mm-hmm. um, but, and, <laughs> but and now this is the league cup, which is called the Conti cup. If you remember last year on our shows, we followed Chelsea as they went through the Conti Cup knockout stages uh, and had a special episode when they were leading up to the final uh, of the Conti Cup where they ended up playing Bristol City. If you remember Bristol City, uh, that was the team that I kept saying over and over again would not get relegated, Um, uh, but they did. Um, So don't don't follow my bets on football. Whatever I say who's going to win, do the opposite and you'll be that much better off. But uh, but we we did a special episode on on this program uh, with uh, some folks with the uh, Bristol City Women's uh, Vixen cast, um, you know, in the lead up to that uh, League Cup final, which Chelsea 
inevitably won uh, fairly easily. So uh, now last year, though, United Women did not make it out of the group stage, um, you know, of the Conti Cup um, and did not make it to the to the knockout round. So they're certainly hoping to, to do better this time around uh, since this is an opportunity for a trophy. So going into this, what did you know about Durham besides the fact that they were the number one team in the championship? So we've played Durham in our champ when we were in the championship. So that's back twenty eight the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen season. Um, they're a, they're a very physical side. There is also um, they they were also a team to put an, an L against us in, in, under Casey in the championship mm-hmm. season, which was a which was very rare. No team actually except Durham beat us. Um, um, so we knew what I knew what to expect. I I was at the Durham away game in 20, the end of twenty eighteen. It was a cold December day. It was freezing up there. If you ever go up to, to if anyone ever travels up to England and goes up to the northeast around December January time, make sure you have plenty of thick clothes on to keep you warm because it it freezes up there quite quickly. Uh, quite quickly. Um, and there's also a little bit of needle between United United fans and Durham as well, uh, and I, I say a little bit of needle. They've got players who like to antagonize 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 us a little bit, um, but the kind of game we got on Thursday is exactly what I expected. They were going to play it at their pace with their intensity, um, and the only thing that. You know, I, I wish them all the best for the upcoming season. I, I hope they do well, whether they get really, uh, promoted or not. That, that they have to now hit a lot of criteria for them to get promoted to the WSL. Currently, as it stands, even if they win the championship, they won't be they won't be promoted. It will probably go to second place or maybe even third, depending on where it is. But they're a physical side. They they they're. Every player likes to get stuck into to the other players. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, exactly the game I kind of expected. So uh, you just threw me a curveball. So they're first place in the championship, but even yeah, if they yeah. win the championship, they're not guaranteed promotion. Why is that the case? So, so in the WSL, all pitches have to be grass. It, it sounds stupid, but it does. I was going to bring that up. Okay. Well, obviously they play on a, a G4 pitch, which isn't mm-hmm. it's artificial grass. And under the rules of the WSL, if you haven't got that, you can't uh, that you can't get promoted. You, and there's also they have to have an infrastructure. They currently also don't have their own ground. The the ground where they were playing on Thursday night is Durham University's pitch. Mm-hmm. So. They haven't got the infrastructure. They haven't got st- they. What you saw on the telly of the stand, and you, you had the running track and the right. stand. That's it. So they don't currently have the infrastructure to to be promoted to the WSL. So even if they win it, they're not guaranteed it because they won't hit the criteria because th- th- there's nowhere now. One of the, the people we were speaking to said they've looked around the, the local area and there is nowhere that they can build a pitch or a stadium or even a small stadium. So from their point of view, they were saying, look, you know, we could win every game and still not get promoted. It's just it's just the way the rules of the, 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 the WSL work. They, they need criteria and, and I get it. Leicester... Leicester City is an example. So Leicester last season, they played at a ground called Quorn FC. Mm-hmm. They had stands, they had everything. The only thing that went against them, the pitch. It was 4G. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the, these things have to be planned and looked at. Interesting. Uh, and we, we had a long discussion last winter about grounds in the WSL not being up to standard because some grounds, though they were grass, they were didn't have the the nice, you know, heated underground features and things like that. So they would freeze during, you know, when it was really cold and and games were canceled. And you know, one this, one of those teams I think was Birmingham that had some difficulty, but they weren't the only one, um, and so forth. But that was the only one there. So that's very interesting because I was going to ask because. 
Um, there's a lot of, con I know that there's a lot of controversy here in the States around playing soccer football on a synthetic turf, um, yeah. in terms of it's harder, uh, literally harder. Uh, it's makes folks become more injury prone, uh, because it's not, it's not, you know, it's not grass, it's not natural grass. So, um, and, and I know that there was a lot back a couple of years ago, there was, uh, at the women's Royal cup, not the one that just ended the one before that, when it was hosted in Canada and the U S that there was some consternation about from the U S women's team at that time that they did not want to play and they still do not want to play on a synthetic turf because of the injury issues yeah. um so uh so i was a bit surprised i i was surprised when i turned it on and it was like that's not a real grass pitch yeah. i was like okay the, the the other thing around it is like you said is is it's it's hard it does you know it, it mm -hmm. can lead to more injuries but also the bounce it, it's a stupid right, thing but right the, right the bounce becomes unpredictable so mm -hmm. and also the way the ball will sit up if you're trying to for example, there was a, but that a, is important. I mean, if the, it, if you're if the ball is not bouncing the way you expect it to, it's not up yeah. the way you expect it to. It's uh, it, your timing is yeah. going to be all off, right? And most, and you know, Durham they will be training on that pitch, so they'll mm -hmm. be used used to mm -hmm. it. Whereas United they train at Carrington, and yes, they do have a synthetic pitch. But f f you know, I think before Durham, I think the last time United played on a synthetic pitch was Burnley possibly in the FA Cup. And that was what February time last year, this year, very early this mm -hmm. year. So in the championship, more and more teams are trying to play on natural grass. It's just um location, location, location. It's where they can get to play. Right, where, exactly. Where Durham used to play, uh, New Ferrens Park, again, mm -hmm. it was it's a proper football ground, but again it's a it's a four G pitch. Um and you could see on Thursday, the Durham players they they were going in for tackles because they they they're used to that pitch. They know what they can do and they can't do. United were tackling, you know, but they weren't. I wouldn't say they were they were meaty tackles. They were just tackles because mm -hmm. of you know for in, injury on those pitches. I mean, you could be out for a long time if you get hurt on one of those pitches because it they are so hard. They are rock hard. Yeah, and and I'm sure that that played played into how this match played itself out, you know, particularly at the beginning um, of the match um, and so forth. So, um, so going into you know, we always talk about the lineup going into the, these things, Mark. And so, um, Mark Skinner for this for this particular match made seven changes yep. from the match before. So, how many of the eleven? I don't know if you did a competition, y'all, right. uh, on this, but how many did you get right out of the eleven? We did. Started. I know I won. Just give me cool. a second. I know I, know okay. I won, okay. um, which was always a good thing. Uh, I won and I got, uh, there it is, when it loads, I won 9-8. So I got 9 out of the 11. That is impressive given the fact that there were seven changes. Yeah. Um, so which ones did you miss then out of the 11? Uh, I don't think I picked, I didn't. I don't think I picked uh, Lessie or Carrie Jones. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. So the the lineup at the back, you had Sophie Bagley makes her first start for United. She was a transfer yeah. um, from which that was Bristol City, I believe, the team that yeah. we talked about earlier. Then the the, the uh, back line of Thor Satir in it was in the. Um, Full, more of a fullback position, Alfie and Blundell in the center back position and Harris to the right. Uh, and then Boa Risa makes her first appearance. Actually, I don't know if it's her first appearance, but her first start uh, since her transfer to United as well. And then Fuso makes her first start for United as well. And then Haley Ladd, Stana Forth, and then Carrie Jones makes, is that her first start as well for United? It's her first start, yeah. Wow. Okay. And then Elisa Russo um, playing more in the, you know, sort of the number nine slot uh, there. Um, and she had started um, in the match before. So uh, what were you thinking in terms of you, you, you kind of knew going in, as you said, that, that, um, that Durham was going to play 
let's say tough, <laughs> you know, be a tough opponent physically. Um, they like to get stuck in, as you said, uh, and so forth. And we certainly saw that in the first, you know, the first half, really. Yeah. Uh, we really saw that. And um, but what were you think? Were you good with the lineup in terms of the competition? And, and did you feel good about having the, having a number of players making their first start for the squad? And how did that go down for you? So, uh, Sophie, but I, I, I don't have an issue with him rotating the squad. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually, it was very good. Um, Sophie Bagley, I saw mm-hmm. for 45, 50 minutes against Glasgow Rangers live. And at the time I was, I was very impressed. And actually watching her on Thursday night, it kind of under different circumstances, actually in a proper game, I was still quite impressed with her. And um, if Mary ever got, injured which we obviously we don't want i would have mm-hmm. no i've got no issue with with sophie bagley i think she's completely capable um and she did i think she did well i, I don't think you can really blame her for for any of the, the the goals that we conceded i thought she she handled her position well and i thought she she handled the defend her back four well um for the back four on obviously Efer and hannah blundell They've they've played every minute of every game so far, so mm-hmm. I, I was more than happy with that. Um, Maria Thoris here. She's more or less played every minute. Obviously, she there was like a twenty minute stretch against Leicester where Millie played, but then Millie obviously picked Springy. So those three I had no issue with. Um, Martha, I kind of I knew I was kind of expecting Martha to play. I don't know why, but Martha Harris is is a. Um, a solid defender. She, you know, mistakes will happen when you've been out of the team for, for, for a long time. And, uh, but I think some of her recovery plays was, was absolutely spot on. And I had no issue with that. Obviously um, as a back four, you like to play with the same back four to, so you can get an understanding and gel together. But that back four, I, I, I had no issue with uh, Hayley Ladd, it was a no-brainer for me. Hayley Ladd's not started a league game for us this season. Mm-hmm. So for her to come in, I kind of expected it. Uh, and again, but you know, it's one of these things, she kind of looked off the pace because it takes a while to get your match fitness back up. But everything she did, she she did her well. Uh, Vilda Bowery, so she's, she started against Reading on the first WSL game of the season. And then she's been out of the team. Um and I think it's kind of tough to judge her on, on really two games mm-hmm. when one game is a league game, the other one's a cup game. Um, but the one thing I do like about it, it's one thing that I was speaking to someone about at the game, is that she always looks forward. She doesn't look backwards to make a pass. Uh, Lucy Stan, we all know what she's, she can do for us. She's, she's, she's really good. And she's again another one again who, who looks forward. Um, and she she gets herself into good position, so I, I was happy with that. Uh, Carrie Jones is someone who's come through the development squad to, to here, and from speaking to people around around the club, they they think of her so highly that you know she's already a full international for Wales before mm-hmm. she's even got into the United, you know, to the starting squad for United. For me, the only surprise for me out of the starting eleven was Lessie. She's mm-hmm. coming back from serious injury, mm-hmm. and to play her for ninety minutes on that pitch, I thought was it was a risk. And knowing that she's just been called up to, to um, the England squad as well, I thought it was a big risk. But it it worked, and I, I think Lessie needs games, mm-hmm. and I think Mark. I don't think he would, if we would have been winning 2-3-0, I don't think Mark would necessarily would have played her for the full 90, but needs must. So overall, I was I was quite happy with the, the starting 11. Um, I had no issue with it. I thought some of the some of the changes I understood why he made them, some of them he had to make to give mm-hmm. them some playing time. Mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, I was more than happy with it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it was sort of the lineup I sort of expected. I mean, I was expecting some level of rotation. The only question was how much rotation would it be? But I was particularly surprised of Russo's inclusion. Um, you know, uh, once I saw the pitch, to be honest, uh, I was like, mm, yeah, I know she needs game time, but I'm not sure this is the arena, literally the arena for it, um, you know, for her. But I understand the idea of trying to get her some playing time um, in a competitive match coming back from injury um, and so forth. But that's just something that, you know, you just don't want to play with too much, honestly, Um, and so forth. So we talked a little bit about the physicality. So in terms of the physicality, at least I would say probably the first 35 minutes leading up to the first goal of the match. I mean, what did you think of Durham's physicality and did they give you what they expected or was it, and how also more specifically, how do you feel like the referees managed that initially? So it seems to be, a common subject we talk about now. Yeah, every week. exactly. Referees. I try to be gentle this time. No, I know. Um, I, I think the referee kind of lost control. Uh, and I know uh, I watched, I've not watched the game. I've watched the highlights. And Glenn Harris, ironically, who is Martha's father, he mm. said, if the referee doesn't start to stamp down, she's going to lose this completely. And he was right. I thought that, look, I mean, we we sit here now for the last four weeks, it seems to me, and we've talked about the standard of refereeing. This is a referee from a lower division Mm -hmm. who can't control a game. And it's getting to the point now where, unfortunately, I think a serious injury might have to happen for the referees to go, I need, you know, we need help. Um, there There was one part in the first half where, we were defend. Uh, we were at, uh, we were defending a corner, and one of the Durham players, as I said, you know, I expected physicality, but one of the Durham players actually had the hands around the throat of Ethan Mannion. Now, there's physicality, and then there's well, whatever that was, whatever you want to call it. The re- and the referee just didn't do anything about it. She was stood five. 10 yards away, you could she could clearly see it and she did nothing about it. And you have to ask yourself, like I said, what has to happen before the refereeing standard gets better? Now, I I have no issue with a tackle going in if it's made for, on for the right reasons. Obviously, they're not going to tackle a person to, for the spite of injuring them. But mm-hmm. some of the tackles we've seen over the last few weeks the referees have just let go and some of them are well some of them are career enders you know the georgia stanway one it was a red card end of story there's no complaint but mm-hmm. imagine what would have happened if the referee hadn't seen it and it would have been worse and and the worst would have happened to leah mm-hmm. uh, you know the the refereeing standard must get better however You've got to, everyone has to referee to a same standard. And in the WSL, they don't. There is no good standard. And there's no, everyone, in my opinion, they make either good decisions or bad decisions. It's never a completely fair level playing field, so to speak. Yeah. There, and are, I... there are better referees in the men's lower leagues than there are in the WSL. And I, I, I understand what the FA are trying to do. I completely see what the FA are trying to do. However, the refereeing standard at lower levels in the men's game, like I said, is better than the WSL. You might have to bring some of those referees over and you might have to forego what the FA are currently trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping to go through a whole week. I want to be able to go through a whole week when there, where there are actual matches being played where I don't have to come on here and talk about the referees. And I've mentioned this several times on several shows that my biggest concern outside of the issues of, you know, not calling off sides or calling off sides when it wasn't and things like that, which can change, change the whole entire, um, the, the entire result of, of the game. And Kate uh, from the Manchester City show, um, you know, who is a trained referee herself, you know, she made, made it very clear that he's like, 
no, there have been several matches that the result would have changed if the calls had been correct. And the other thing that the thing that I kept kind of throwing in there and it came out in this match was the fact that what I see a lot of the times, and I'll repeat it again because it has to be said, because player safety is the most paramount issue in any sport, any women's sport, anywhere, young, old, whatever, player safety is the most paramount thing to deal with. And referees are there for partly, mostly that reason. And I've seen so many times in women's matches, in big women's matches, I've seen it in the Champions League, I've seen it in the WSL, I saw in this match where the referee did not take control of a match when it was getting starting to get out of hand. And I don't want to be watching a match where I'm supposed to be, I'm a fan of football. I'm a fan of women's football. I, I watch it because I want to be entertained. I do not want to have my throat in my stomach, my, not my throat, in my stomach, no, my heart in my throat, because I'm worried that things are to get so out of control that someone's going to have to be carted off the, the pitch on a stretcher because their ACL got blown up on a on a tackle that should have never ever happened had the game been in control and that game started to teeter on it being out of control um i i don't know i, I mean something has something's got to change of that i think your yeah. idea of bringing in you know if the bring it you, something's got to be done i'm sorry yeah. it's something I, it's, I, it's, I, I think it's the, it's you know if you speak to i mean one of the, the the one of the guys that I stand with at f- the football games, a, guy, a gentleman called Ian, really that good guy. Now he 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 used to referee, so very much like your city contributor, he's going mental. Stood next to me, going, Ref- "What are you looking at? What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Now we we have a we have kind of a chant that we throw out when we sing out, "Our referee is better than you." Now that's both be having a bit of a joke and a laugh about it when they're not giving fouls. However, you are absolutely right. Something serious is going to happen. Some player is going to get a busted ACL or, God forbid, worse, and that's it. They're done. Now, the FA, they can implement better referees. They can give them more training. However, they don't. And I don't know the reasons. You don't know the reasons. The only people that know the reasons are the FA. The FA run this Depending on who you speak to, you'll get various people telling you how the FA run the, the Women's League. Some will say it is run like as a joke, it's run as a project, or they're, or they're actively trying to grow it as a proper Women's League. Now, it depends who you speak to. But going to a game, you're right, you go to a game not to be, to be entertained. You don't go to a game to sit there and every time a tackle comes in, you cringe and you you can't watch it because you don't know what's going to happen. In the men's games, be it in the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, the Premier League, you have referees who are full-time referees. Yeah. And they referee the game and also the teams in front. Now, you have no fear that, yes, you'll see an injury. It's mm-hmm. bound to happen. Mm-hmm. But they also know what to do in those circumstances. I don't think a women's referee knows what to do in those circumstances. The, 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 the joke of it all is that when we played, it wasn't City. So when we, I think when we played, I can't remember who we played. It was only a few weeks ago. The referee was making a substitution before the substitute was ready to come on. Mm-hmm. She stopped the game. Right. I mean, right. That's just basic rules. Learn your rules first and then get the rest, of, then do the rest of it. Learn when to make a sub- And then once, you know, the, the message got to her that they weren't ready for the referee. My mistake. You actually heard her say my mistake. Right, right. The, you know, I understand in Sunday, in Sunday League, like, you know, where the mm-hmm. guys just play for yeah. a bit of fun, the referee standards are bonable. It's awful. It's terrible. They're, right. they're still drunk right. from the night before playing. I get that, right. but this is a professional league. This is a, a cup competition where you get a, an actual trophy, it's something to play for. And all you want in the WSL, the Championship, the Conti Cup, the FA Cup, whatever competition it may be, is referees who know how to referee. It's not a lot to ask for. It's their one job. It's their one thing. Referee a game. 
Don't look at it and go after. And don't look at it and go. Oh, you know what? I made a mistake. Don't make the mistake. But the other side to it, Keith, is when you have current professionals, ex-professionals, pundits, everyone saying the refereeing standard is terrible. Listen to them. They know what they're talking about. They're either still playing the game or they've only just quit or they used to play the game. Listen to them because by listening to them, you're going to improve the game. Right now, the game, you know, the FA wants to grow the WSL. I don't think they can right now because of, of, of what's happening within the games. Now, will it, can it change? Yes, of course it can change. Will it? I, honestly, I, I don't see it happening for, for a while. Very well said, all of that. I have nothing else to add to that, but it was brilliant uh, and so forth. Totally agree with all those fronts and so forth. And, and you know, again, I hope for a show or I, I like I said, I want to go a whole week and I don't think I will. I want to go through a whole week where there are matches played where I don't feel the need to mention how the referees managed or didn't manage in this case. Uh, the, the match moving forward because the first yellow card didn't didn't pop out into the 55th minute yeah um when it should have been well before then yeah. right uh and so forth so let's talk about some more of the action on the field so yeah. Kerry jones gets gets a goal contribution yeah uh brilliant to fuso yeah so we've all wanted to see ivana play and start for quite mm-hmm. a while. Uh, we've seen her in bits and, and, and bits and bits, but nothing yeah. really major. This was her first major impact. And when we heard the team news, and there was, you know, maybe 30, 40, you know, there was there was a group of us who had travelled up, and there's obviously a load of United fans who live in the, in the area. So we were all very excited to see Ivana play. Um, she's obviously, we've obviously hyped her up so much because she's either... Initially, when we signed her, they told us she was German because she played for the Germany youth team. But now she's actually playing for Brazil, so she's got that kind of bit of um, she she's got something about her. So we were all really excited. Her first season, she was decimated by injury, but you know it wasn't just Ivana; it was most of United last season. So for her to start, we were all very excited with, and her movement was was good um you can tell it was the first game she was trying to get up to the pace of it a bit but she was she was very good and her and Lassie was swapping from Lassie was going further back and Ivana was going further forward she was very good and then Carrie Jones uh she pops up on the on the left hand side and she plays a, a a lovely ball to Ivana and it was a, it was a very very nice finish under pressure I think from their defenders and she just slotted it into into the back of that um very impressed, obviously, for Ivana. The game ended the way we, you know, on a downer with an injury. But um, up until that point, I thought she was she was very very good. Yeah, um, it was a very good goal. It was a well needed goal. They needed to get something out of all of that offense of get, creating chances and having to defend through the the, the defense that uh, Durham was putting up there, um, clean or otherwise, <laughs> with that defense. Yeah. Um, you know, but finally, they, you know, it comes through. So United goes into the halftime uh, up, you know, up one nil uh, and so forth. And then in the second half, um, Durham gets their first goal. And, and tell us about the lead up to that to that goal. So it was, I think the one thing about United, and I think we've said it not just this season, but last season as well, is our frailty at defending. Right. Under Casey, we've kind of said, Casey's a defender. She, she likes to build from the defense. She likes to have a strong, solid back four. I think Mark goes for a more attacking rather than, but he also likes to defend. And we made some some silly mistakes at the back and it led to a set piece from a corner. And we just can't seem to defend set pieces right now. It seems to be our biggest vulnerability. Um, I think, but from where we were stood, and I've watched it back now, I've obviously changed my mind since then. 
But from where I stood at, at the game on Thursday night, I thought Sophie Bagley was impeded a bit. I thought mm-hmm. she couldn't move to get the ball. But I've watched back. It, I've watched it back, and actually, it was just a a, a, a a decent ball taken to the far post, and you couldn't have asked for. You know, it was an easy goal in the end, really, for Durham. And then Durham, you know, you know, is I one thing I noticed about them is that you know that's kind of how they score. Uh, is they score, they 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 really depend on a lot of set pieces uh, and so forth. And and this was an issue for United last season, where you know they gave up, uh, dare I say, as you said, easy goals on set pieces last season, which were very frustrating to watch because it's like. Well, that was easy um, and so forth. And this was kind of in the same vein uh, was it was like, you know, it was not well, you know, defended uh, set piece. There's not a whole lot that Sophie could really do with it, um, you know, and, you know, and but it also was a really good set piece by Durham at the same time. So, you know, it was, you know, it was a deserved goal, um, but the defending definitely could have been better. Um, and I mentioned, you know, for a couple mentioned about five minutes later, um, you know, the first yellow card pops out um you know it wasn't will not be their first one or was their first one but wouldn't be their last um and then we have just a worldly of a goal uh yeah. from ella tune um I, I mean i i just like those are the type of goals i just like to repeat and watch over and over again because they're just i mean they gave her enough time to set herself, which is what you don't want to do yeah. uh, from it was beyond the 18 yard box. Um, but it was just a solid, I mean, she got enough time to put her foot into it and just, you know, no one's going to stop that. Um, you know, it was a beautiful goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think right now out of the entire United squad, I don't think you'll find, you know, I think you'll find that every First name down on the team sheet now every single week is, is Ella Toon. And you understand why. Um, yep. She is right now probably the best player by a, by a mile. She, you know, she's in the England squad. Mm-hmm. I expect her to probably play over the weekend for the Lionesses. Um, but the goal was great. It was well hit. It was, it was like you said, a, a proper worldie. The pass from, from Hayley Ladd to Tooney. If that ball was pass was hit any harder I don't think she would have scored it I think it, it might have gone a bit askew but the but the weight of the pass from Hayley Ladd to Tooney it was mm-hmm. spot on and then it was just guiding it into into the top corner and that's what it did and at that point I mean you know when we went one all you know Mark Skinner he brought on Leah Golton um, he brought on Leah Golton Kirsty Hansen and Tooney you know he, he brought on three Pretty good players, mm-hmm. and those three players—they're they're, all—they're they're different in every way. Um, so the build-up to the goal, what Mark had done—you know—does he stick or twist? I think he—I'm he, going to go and twist and see what happens. Bring on players, mm-hmm. and at two-one, you know, once we scored that one, I, I was kind of thinking, well, that's the game done. There's, there's you know. Not a lot of time left for Durham to to come back at us, and if we keep our shape, Haley Ladd was roving around between the back four, so she was doing her bit, her job, and then we were on the attack, and I, I couldn't really see Durham coming back into it. But obviously, you know, it's, it's me. The minute I say something like that, the opposite happens, kind of like you and Leicester. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so um, there was there was really just a very careless foul yeah. by Haley Ladd who she gets a deserved yellow but it's right outside the box um I mean luckily it wasn't in the box but you know it was but it was really kind of careless she, I mean you know I, I think I was one that was like oh okay well yeah that's definitely a foul um yeah but it was really kind of careless uh, at that time and you know what she was t- intending to do she was just very late very late in doing so but that gives up a really gives up a set piece opportunity at a very glorious spot. And so with that being said, um, Heppel from Durham, you know, steps forth and, you know, just curves it in 
from that dangerous of a, of a position. Uh, again, I'm not sure anyone could have done anything about that, but it was like the lead up was just sort of kind of a sloppy defensive move um, sets up that set piece. And then the set piece that it comes through and it draws the game with like five minutes of regular time left, you know? And so that's really was a gasping moment, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, once the, the foul, there's, there's some things that I would call a professional foul. And mm-hmm. there's something sometimes like there's a, I'll call a foul taking one for the team. Right. And right. The, the, the Haley large one on Thursday night leading up to their second goal was taking one for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they scored. But ironically, I still thought United were going to win it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was only a little bit out of that if, if Lessie would have gone on in, in two or three right. minutes later. Yes, right. And, and she would have put it in. But yep. if, you, if you watch back from when they equalised, I mean, we were, we were stood directly next to the United dugout, which is very rare for us to be mm-hmm. allowed to be that near. And at not one point after that equaliser was the, the, was the manager or the assistant manager, were they on the touchlines doing any, they weren't on there going, what have you done? They were on there encouraging them. They're going, you can still do this in 90. They were encouraging mm-hmm. every single mm-hmm. player, no matter from, from, from Sophie Bagley at the very back to Leslie Russo, you can still do this. And one of the things that, listening to them i mean sometimes it's my attention was taken away from the game because i was listening to what mark and his assistant martin ho were talking about to the players it it, it was a, it was fascinating to listen to and at no point were they saying to any they were going you know if the players were doing something well they were going well done or if they were saying or they wanted them to cover they were giving instructions but it was done in, in um such a positive way that you were you were impressed with with the level of uh, instruction that they were giving. So the so Durham equalised, and the first things that you hear from Martin Howe or Mark Skinner himself were, "We've still got time, girls. Come on!" And they were they were applauding them, and they were making a few tinkers here, changes here and there. But otherwise, it was very a positive instruction. And then come the 80, 87th, 88th minute for Lessie with that ball to go through for it to equalise. That's the pitch. Because if you look, the ball just bounces and it bounces awkwardly and it takes the shot away from Lessie and it does go mm-hmm. no wide. How, and uh, that, that's the only time during the whole game I heard that the management team any sign of displeasure. It was the only time, and obviously mm-hmm. you understand the reasons why, and mm-hmm. right? For, for whatever else, but whereas most manage, I think most managers in any league to equal, you know, to go from two one up to two all with five minutes plus whatever there may be in of injury time, they would have been, you know, shouting at the players, being absolutely, you know, doing whatever they had to do. Whereas Mark and Martin, they were positive, they were upbeat, they weren't doing anything other than trying to give the girls more. Whatever they could give the girls more, to more they were trying to do. And I, like I said, at times it took my attention completely away from the game mm-hmm. because I was one, so impressed. One of the things that, and to your point, one of the things that I judge managers on and coaches on is emotional intelligence. Yeah. And part of emotional intelligence is reading the room even during a match. And realizing what do, what do your players need from you at such pivotal moments, and that was a pivotal moment. Yes, that was a goal. It drew drew a, a, a very important match um, at two all late. Um, and I know that some managers would have a rush of blood to the head, as they say, and kind of free, have a freak out moment potentially. Some may not say anything at all, and so forth. But I think what you're pointing out is is I think given the circumstances, given how that goal happened, um, you know, that was the reading the room and having the appropriate response by him and his assistant to say, okay, we got to, you know, let's just brush that off and let's keep going because we can win this in the next five minutes. And, and that was the exact right thing to do. And they responded very positively to that. Did you, so that leads me to the the penalty kicks. Now that's another good takeaway. 
in my opinion, was it was how United did in taking the penalties. They were perfect, five for five, yeah. um, and so forth. Did you get a chance, though, now you're speaking about Mark and, and, and what his pitch to the to the uh, players was, you know, after the goal, did you get a chance to hear, did he say anything to the players before the penalty kicks? I mean, would, so, did you get a chance to hear that? No. So once the full whistle went, he took the entire team onto the pitch. It was just outside uh, of our. Okay, got you. It was got just you. outside okay. of our where we could hear. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing as fans we asked for were the penalties be on our side of the pitch and at our end. We didn't. Mm-hmm. If they were at the other end, we would have all run around like maniacs to watch them. But luckily right. for us, we no, luckily for us, we didn't have to move, and they were all at, on our side. Uh, but uh, as you said. You can't ask for more than five for five in a penalty shootout. Yeah, I mean, I and there was like, I, the, as I was watching this, is like I know that there are players who want the ball in that yeah. situation, who want to take the penalty, and there are players who don't. Yeah, which I always find interesting. I always find yeah. it interesting the players that want to take a penalty, and and there are certain players who absolutely don't want to take a penalty. And so, uh, I was very interested on in who was going to be taking the penalties. You had to, I mean, there were some obvious choices um, of who was going to take penalties. Um, you know, Tune Russo, uh, Haley Ladd was a Borisa, uh, and Alfie was one that I was still a little bit surprised with. I was a little bit surprised that she was the second person uh, to step up. But I found it interesting, um, and I don't. Maybe you can shed some in, light on this. I mean, they were well. I mean, very composed, very professional. You know, just make sure it gets on on goal. You don't need to hit it a thousand miles per hour. Just make sure it gets on goal um, and so forth. That was kind of the I think the mentality there is be on target, um, and it, it really incredibly worked out. They were. Well, five well done penalty kicks, and that was, I think, that was a big positive to take away. And Mark Skinner mentioned that in his, you know, remarks after, right after the match, um, and so forth. But what happened with uh, on the third penalty kick uh, that from Hill on Durham, Bagley saves it, but then the referee says, No, waves that off. What happened there? Oh, I didn't get it. Are we talking about referees again? Yeah, I know. So, so the rule is there. There is there is a rule, and then there's the unspoken rule. So the rule is that you can't take your penalty kick until the referee blows a whistle. Oh, yeah, the, okay? the whistle. Yes, the whistle. However, thing. if the player is ready, so mm-hmm. the penalty taker is ready, and the goalkeeper is ready, mm-hmm. then you can take the penalty, and it, and that's what happened. So the Durham player was ready. Sophie Bagley was ready. The, the player just takes the penalty and safely saves it. At that point, the referee then has a decision to make. She can either let it stand or say, I didn't blow, you have to retake it. Now, I've been going to football a long time. I've seen some penalty, some penalty kicks where the referee's not blowing it or you can't hear it because of the crowd noise or whatever. And then there's no then it, whatever happens usually stands. This is the first time I've ever seen it pulled back because the referee says she wasn't ready. Um, and that was what happened. The referee wasn't ready. The the player was ready. Sophie Bagley was ready, but because the referee wasn't ready, she can then she made that decision to have it retaken. It was, um, uh, should we call it a refereeing mistake? Let's let's keep it in the mold of, of what we yeah, were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I mean. I, I was, yeah, I watched that and I was like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't understand what happened. Because, I mean, initially when I when I see, when we see, typically when we see penalty kicks get ruled, you know, get uh, get ruled out or, you know, there's a, a, a re-kick is if the goaltender doesn't stay on their line. And yeah. I know that there was, there's always been some controversy about that too. But but that's what I initially thought was like, well, you know, did she, but I was like, no, she didn't step up. Uh, you know, she didn't, she was on her line. Yeah. Um, from what I could see, of course, but uh, so I was just like was confused, and I was like, she didn't blow the whistle. What? Well, straight yeah. away, I straight mean, to, straight away. So Sophie saves the penalty, then she goes, right. she has to then leave the penalty area. She has to stand right. Out. She's and walking it, away. She's walking away, and you see the assistant right. referee going, and you yeah. see him, and she's going, you well, know, yeah, exactly. And, and Sophie's going, well, that's her problem, not mine. We were yes. ready, so. 
you, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, like you said, you've seen penalties retaken because the goalkeeper's left his line or the ball wasn't properly put on the spot or there was encroachment if it was during an actual game. You, you know, those things are fine. But this is the first time I've ever seen it where a referee wasn't ready. The, yeah, but this... the, refer- the referee's only job is to stand in one spot. It's not anything else. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I just didn't understand that. I, but luckily, again, and this is another positive because stuff like that can rattle people yeah. uh, and so forth. Because so Hill ends up converting that penalty and then Borisa steps up, nails her penalty. And then Durham's next next penalty taker, Saliki, um, doesn't even hit the target. Um, yeah. And... Um, and then Russo, you know, perfect slot for her in the fifth, you know, being the fifth and final taker and knots at home and that's it game over. Um, but I thought, you know, that's just, luckily that that refereeing decision did not hurt them. Luckily, um, you know, it, it, the result ended up being what it was, um, you know, in the end. But I was like, oh, my gosh, that is oh, it's, that was aggravating. Yeah. Uh, but from. From where we were stood, um, I, I, I believe it was the United goalkeeping coach who just shouted to Sophie Bagley after she saved the third penalty and obviously then they had to retake it. He just said to her, I, I'm sure it was him, he just said, refocus and slow. Mm-hmm. And I think what he meant by that was, don't get back in the goal and expect to take it. Just get your mind back onto, onto penalties. And actually, yep. it kind of works. It's kind of what you were talking, what you've just said, completely mm-hmm. what you just said. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there are, there's three main factors I look at for really good managers. And one is personnel management. You know, how do you handle your players? I mean, in terms of talking with them one-on-one, how you handle them as a group and things like that. It does take emotional intelligence, but I think that's a whole separate issue. It's sort of like player management is one. So how you manage the players one-on-one, how you manage the team, how you manage the group. The second piece is around tactical nuance. You know, not only before game, during game and so forth in training, etc. That's the tactical aspect of it. And and then the third is the emotional intelligence. And what I have seen so far from Mark Skinner and his team is I've seen tactical nuance, which has been, I would say, a little bit better than okay. All right. I'm not, I wouldn't say it's perfectly great. Not yet, but it, it could get there. Um, but I've seen really good management. I've seen really good emotional intelligence and, you know, and just kind of, again, reading the room and so forth. I think Skinner's uh, comments after the match where he said, overall, it was good. There were some moments where it wasn't not naming any names or anything like that. Just there were moments where it wasn't, but then his takeaway was how they handled the penalty kicks, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of how they they brushed everything aside, shut out all the noise, took the took the kicks, and so forth. I think that's very important, um, you know. And you know, I think you know so far things, and we're going to have a whole show dedicated to how the season has gone so far since we're on kind of an extended break, um, you know. But it seems you know that he's doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh- one of the things that, that's impressed me about him, and it, I, I mean, I go back to when he first got the job. He said, I'm going to get to know the players first. I'm not going to worry about managing them. I want right. to know the individuals. So I need to know what works for this one to, and what works mm-hmm. for that one because not not everyone is exactly the same. And you can see him trying that and you can see him around that. You know, mm-hmm. tactically, I, I think th- there is more to come from him. I, I really do, and, and mm-hmm. I agree. But I think mm-hmm. you know he's had five. Is this is his fifth or sixth game? You know he's done exceptionally well. The one game, obviously, everyone's going to talk about is Chelsea. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, we drew with City when we sh- we should have beat them. But we we mm-hmm. we had a dominant display, in my opinion, against Birmingham. We played well against Reading. The Leicester game, it was. Eh, it was it was neither here nor there, and I think overall he's done okay. And like you said, there's more. I think there's there's more to come from him. 
But I also said when we started back doing the shows this season, I said, in a way, Mark's got an excuse already made in that a majority of this squad, mm-hmm. the, this squad, this squad isn't his yet. It's right. still cases. But that being put to this to a side, what he's done with this team, giving players slightly new positions, not playing mm-hmm. the plays you would expect to play, swapping the likes of Hannah and Honor over in the last couple of games. He's doing things, he's trying things, and, I, and no disrespect to Casey or anything like that. I don't think Casey would ever have really tried any of those things. I don't know that for certain. I can't say for certain. But I think I think Mark is he's trying to make himself he's trying to put his philosophy onto the team. Mm-hmm. With Casey, I think it was very we start defensive and then we build from that. I think with Mark, it's completely the other way around. Yeah. I think Mark mm-hmm. and I and I think it's he's starting to show that. You know, I know Mark Skinner wasn't the person United fans wanted for the job. And, you know, we all know that. However, he's doing okay. And you've got Mm -hmm. got to give him the opportunity to do well. This season, this WR season right now is being turned upside down on its head. You know, you've got Arsenal top of the league, Chelsea second, Tottenham third, us fourth, and then Mm -hmm. Brighton fifth and City Mm -hmm. down. City down in ninth. Ninth, right. So, the, so the season right now is it's it's gonna. I think this season is going to become one of the more exciting seasons. Obviously, this weekend you had Willie Kirk leave Everton. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got it's it's going to become a bit of a merry-go-round. However, there is now an international break, and we're United haven't got a game for three weeks now. Three yes. weeks. It's it's a long time not to play. Mm-hmm. And then when we come back, it's Tottenham away. Who are third yep. and we're fourth, and if we win, mm-hmm. we go third, and it, and I, it, it's going to become a bit of a a, a, spy, a merry-go-round right now with the season the way it is because, as you said during the show, they still have to finish last season's FA Cup before this season's can even begin. So, right now we're in this international break for ten days, and then we come back, and then United right. still have ten days before we play again. So, right. but overall. United are doing well. I think Mark Skinner's doing well, and I think mm-hmm. we're in a good place. Yeah, it's. I was going to mention the interesting run of fixtures when United come back in action. First match, you know, away um, at Spurs, then um, another league match against Everton, um, yeah. which will be interesting to see what Everton is like then, since they've had plenty of time. Um, to um, you know, to move on from Willie Kirk and uh, and um, bring someone else in, uh, and then another f- group stage fixture against City, yeah, <laughs> uh, and then Arsenal in the yeah. league. So it's an interesting, really interesting, um, you know, run of games. And then the fifth in that is another uh, is another groups is uh, after Arsenal is the starting December. Uh, first game in December is against Leicester. Um, you know, yes, you mentioned the table. Arsenal is on top at 15 points. They're, you know, literally perfect in terms of wins and losses and so forth. Chelsea and Spurs right behind them, three points back. Um, and the United is sitting in fourth place, you know, 10 points out of five games. Um, I think that's a, that's a solid start. Um, Brighton and West Ham are, are right behind and so forth. I mean, I think United is in a pretty good position. I think people were a little bit surprised about Spurs being in third, um, but you know they kind of fell. They kind of fell away, um, you know, after their last match. So it's yeah, it, it's going to definitely be a merry-go-round because you know one wonders if City is going to have some type of resurgent. I would expect that going. It will happen at some point. They'll put a run of matches together. Will Everton form improve? Um, you know, will there be a new manager bounce for, you know, for them? Uh, we'll see pretty quickly. Um, you know, so it, it's, um, again, I just think, you know, going back, uh, as you said, I think it's going to be the probably a very, the, probably the most competitive league we, we thought last year was competitive. I think this year is going to be even a step above, step up from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. You, know, you know, you look at, um, so Willie Kirk's obviously left the rumours circulating around here about who they're going to get as the next manager. They're talking about either of the ex-Leon managers are going to, is going to become the next mm-hmm. Everton yeah, manager. I've heard that. 
So you're looking at all of that now. As a Man United fan, I never ever try to look what's behind us, but you have to look at City. They are where they are right now for currently for a reason. They've got a serious injury uh, injury list, and hopefully they'll get those players back. But I expect City to to be up further up the table than the where they are now. Become the end of it. You expect Arsenal, Chelsea to be in the top part of the table come come at uh, the end of the season. And then you expect City to be there. But I, I, I don't think, realistically, I don't see City getting top three this season. That's that's my opinion. I think it is between a United and, and probably a Spurs right now because those are the two teams fighting for it. Um, but what I'm happiest about is that the, the, the coverage... The WSL is now getting the exposure. Is now they are now getting with Sky and and BBC now showing the games on 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 not only on Sky on their main Premier League channels and football channels, but BBC showing it on BBC One and BBC mm-hmm. Two. Not behind uh, the iPlayer, not behind a red button. The, the exposure the game is going to get, and hopefully, if you can have an exciting game, an exciting season. It'll bring more people, it'll put bums on seats and it'll grow the game generically the way the FA want it to. You know, mm-hmm. no matter what I say as a Manchester United fan, the Manchester Derby this two weeks ago, it was an exciting game of football to watch. You didn't know it was ebbing and flowing both ways. And that's the kind of football you want to watch. And I think with the exposure from, like I said, the TV deal from Sky and, and BBC, you're only going to get that more and more um, the only downside to, to the season is that the games, like we mentioned last week, like the Concert Cup games, they're not shown on terrestrial TV channels here in the UK. They're shown on MUTV, but again, like you said, it's a paywall. You've either mm-hmm. got to subscribe or not. It's not on a FA player. And mm-hmm. then it comes the FA Cup games, and then we, we'll see what happens with those games come January. But uh, it's going to be an exciting, exciting season, no matter what we say. Yeah, I think it's been very exciting so far. There have been plenty of surprises and, and plenty of ups and downs. And that's just a segue into what we're going to do next week, which is basically next week we're going to do, you know, as we do typically on the international break, we bring everybody in, talk about how the season has gone so far, what you've been surprised with, what what are some of the upsides and what are some of the downsides of the season so far. Uh, that'll be next week, um, everyone. Um and because, I mean, it's been a very exciting start and, and there have been a lot of shocks and a lot of positives and negatives that have happened. And we've discussed probably all of them in this last hour, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, for at least in United's case uh, and so forth. So, Mark, I appreciate you being on. Brilliant stuff as always. Um, have a great day. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to, to talking with you. Uh, when we kind of review the season that has gone so far for United and so forth, everyone out there, please smash a like on the video. Please subscribe. Please share on your social media with your friends and so forth. If you do not want to see how wonderfully handsome and debonair Mark is, um, then you can listen to us on the podcast uh, and so forth. We're on all the podcast platforms that I, I'm aware of uh, and so forth. Um, um and so you can listen to us uh, and so forth. And that might be better on your drive uh, and so forth. So thank you, everyone. Later on today, we will have Kate on. We will review Manchester City. They played uh, They played Everton. And pretty much I thought that was a match to decide who was going to get fired first. Um, and uh, sure enough, there it is. Um, we'll talk to her about Everton uh, and how that match went for City. Um, and then later on, we will have Josh back and talk about Arsenal and we'll have Rob on tomorrow to talk about um, talk about Chelsea. So a lot happening, um, a lot going on. So take care, everybody. Uh, we will see you later, uh, later on today. Uh, and have a good one. Have a great Monday. And-